Galatians 5, uh, we have been looking specifically at uh, verses 22 and 23, uh, but I want to uh, go back up to verse 16 for just a second uh, as we look at this, and look at it in, in its context from verse 16 through 26, uh, where Paul begins in verse 16, which is so important. I say then walk in the Spirit. I think, I think Tawan read all of these verses uh, anyway way back at the start. And, and Trevor, you might have read some of them. I can't remember. I was not here when Dr. Rush shared that. But starting verse 16, I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a good promise. It's a great promise. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things you wish. There's a way we want to go, but uh, our flesh fights hard. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law or the law of your own flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, uh, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And look at the context of what Paul rounds out this passage with. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the context is he wants, the Lord wants, each person to walk in the Spirit. But within the body of Christ, it's going to be so important that we do walk in the Spirit because we do have not only the potential, but the embedded DNA in our flesh to really rub each other the wrong way, to really step on each other's toes, to actually have spiritual pride that God can see. Yeah, we kind of mask it with different ways or our own way or backhanded compliments, all of these different things. He's saying in the context, your flesh is there. And you're going to need the Spirit to override these things. So with that in context, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time in the middle of the week, a respite, if we will, to just rest in your arms as we sung, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you continue to change us. Uh, Lord, we need to continually be changed. We need your strength. We need your peace. We need your transformation. Lord, I pray that you'd bless and use this time, Lord, to bring us all a little closer to you. Lord, remove the distractions of the day and the enemy from this place that we may just hear from you and sit at your feet. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. The Greek word for fruit conveys the natural produce or product that comes from a living thing. Living fruit trees produce, you guessed it, fruit. Some more than others, some trees have, are la heavy laden with fruit. 
But the expectation is always fruit. You do not expect a vegetable on a fruit tree. Now to me, and this would go for vegetables too, but to me the fact that water and dirt and sunlight take a little seed and turn it into a tree. And then you take that same rainwater that comes down and gets in the dirt and below the dirt, and then at a pace that is slower than any clock, moves the water up through the tree, and eventually it turns it into a fruit with a flesh and a skin on the outside and this sweet juice on the inside. And inside of all that is more seeds to start the process all over again, right? And if we weren't around, trees would pop up anyway. Uh, matter of fact, they do better in the forest than we try and do sometimes, a lot of times. I, I, as I mentioned earlier with the senior class, I turned 50 this year, and I'm still amazed, make that more amazed at what comes out of the ground. And in the case of, say, a banana, you guys like bananas? I know that's not a Christmas fruit, but uh, in the case of a banana... Or an orange. You get to, kids love that they get oranges in the stocking. That's their favorite gift. Just give them lots of oranges this year. That's all they really want anyway, right? Uh, but yeah, like an orange. They're both prepackaged, aren't they? They have that removable wrapper from God. Ready to eat. You just take them apart and everything is insulated really well. And I'm positive that if I lived another 50 years, I'd still be amazed that God does all that out of dirt and it pops up into an orange tree or a banana tree. Uh, in, a, in, a lar- in a sense, every time water comes out of the earth and it becomes a grape, God's turning water into wine. It happens again and again. I mean, Jesus did it in an instant, but God's been doing it for 6,000 plus years. Psalm 111.4 says, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. That's why we have to read the word. Remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Uh, just thinking about anything God does stirs us to see the wonder of God. Now, the next verse, by the way, in Psalm 111, verse 4, uh, or next verse, verse 5, pertains to guess what? Food. Encircle it in your Bibles if you... Is he sure about that? Yeah, go look at it up. But what's more amazing than a former seed becoming a tree and producing fruit is a former lost soul becoming saved and producing spiritual fruit. It's even more amazing than dirt and seeds coming together. It's a former lost soul producing spiritual fruit. See, God takes a dead tree, that's you and me, or a bunch of dead trees, and breathes life into us so that we bear fruit, spiritual fruit, that was impossible without the new birth and the continuous work of the Holy Spirit. It's like that battery that's never going to run dry inside of us or run out of power. You see, fruit trees, unlike us, aren't sinners. You know that, right? Orange trees aren't sinners. Apple trees aren't sinners. 
Fruit trees aren't sinners. Now, due to the fall and the curse of sin, they do have to battle some things. Insects, disease, pollution, drought, all kinds of weather conditions. So they are inundated with the impact of the fall, but fruit trees aren't of themselves. They're not sinners. But if they're rooted and they're living, in spite of the elements, in spite of the pestilence, they still produce fruit as they were designed to do. Sinners, on the other hand, because of the same fall, we'll look at a little of this on Sunday too, produce sin that Paul lays out there in verses 17 through 21. And it's a bunch of nasty things that come out of us, isn't it? That's the flesh, the natural byproduct of our sin nature. Understand that apart from the work of salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we cannot produce spiritual fruit. No way. No sinner, unless they're saved by grace, can produce spiritual fruit any more than a fake seed can produce a tree, right? You make a seed out of plastic, you can put it in the ground, you can watch it for a million years, it will not produce a tree. Well, it looks like a seed, it's the exact same. You can make a plastic seed look just like an orange seed. Same color, they do it with everything. You ever seen these plastic fruit arrangements? When, you, when we were small, we were like, hey, this looks great. You know, <laughs> fake. Nothing comes of that. Even the charitable works and things that we might consider as helpful or noble are not received by God as spiritual and acceptable fruit. Cain literally brought, literally brought God, Genesis 4, 3, the fruit of the ground. It says it right in your Bible. He brought him literally, he brought God fruit. God's like, I made that. Cain brought it to him. But God rejected it as just the natural works of the flesh. God says, nope, works of the flesh. Abel brought what God required, which involved the shedding of lamb's blood. We'll look at that Sunday as well. Both brothers were born sinners. We all agree with that, right? Abel wasn't born holy. Both brothers were born in sin. But it's the supernatural change of the heart that caused Abel to produce spiritual fruit. Understand that even in the Old Testament, the work of the Spirit was present to transform sinners. Now, in the New Testament, we have the, uh, a, great, a, a greater grace from God. We have the Christ-given work of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the work of the Spirit was still drawing people to God, even in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. In other words, because of the new work of Christ, we can continually be plugged in and tapped in to the holy nature of God. This is why Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me and you will bear not just fruit, much fruit, much fruit. Apple trees producing apples, again, I believe is a miraculous work. I don't take it for granted. I know the world just kind of thinks, you know, 
It's amazing. A couple stars came out of nowhere. They just, and the next thing you know, eight trillion years later, they all of a sudden, all these other things started coming out of, out of nowhere. I still think it's amazing that God just said, each thing produced after its kind. So apple trees producing apples is miraculous. Anytime God pulls the plug on that, we all die of starvation. Amen? You know he sent droughts as judgment in the world, in the history of the world. So I'm really thankful that these things operate according to God's design. But Christians, as sons and daughters of God, were given a second birth. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we're like Aaron's wooden rod. We're just a dead piece of wood that out of it pops almonds and flowers and branches. We're a dead rod, a dead piece of wood, just like Aaron's rod. And with the Holy Spirit, he comes and we're not, we don't need, we don't even need the sunlight or the dirt. God just says, you'll now produce because it's the spirit of the living God that does the work. The almond, that, that rod is not, do you know it's in the Ark of the Covenant? It's not sitting in the ground. It's not getting rain. It's not getting sunlight. God breathes life into it. The same way he did with Adam and Eve, he does with us in the second birth of salvation. And it happens in the spiritual realm. Nobody could explain Aaron's rod. Nobody could, nobody could even, no scientist would be able to tell us how that's working. How? Because it's happening in the spiritual realm. And the same is true with the second birth. It happens in the depths of our heart. No, what Jesus said it's like the wind. You can't even tell which direction it's coming from, John chapter 3. With this in mind, let's take a look briefly at two aspects of the Spirit's work in producing kindness and goodness. Boy, couldn't we use some kindness and goodness in the United States these days? And it's not new. We've needed it for all 200 years in various forms. We've been a mess for a long time. We just find new ways to express it. Uh, but the Lord wants to produce this kindness and goodness in and through us. And by the way, I have no creative title. It's just what you see right there, kind, uh, kindness and goodness. So uh, that's what you get tonight. Uh, but let's take a look. Um, the first thing I want to take a look at is what I've titled the single source. Uh, the single source is the Holy Spirit. This is the only source. Paul says it. I say then, walk in the Spirit. And then he refers in verse 22 as the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is the source in both cases here. Now, Tawan did a great job several weeks back of explaining that singular word fruit that's used by Paul to describe the various, which is plural, attributes that God produces in our lives. Go back and listen to it. And each of the men, Tawan, Russ, Trevor, they did, they did an excellent job outlining and examining the first four fruits or attributes that come from this singular work of the Holy Spirit. And we might think of the plurality of these fruits being singular in much the same way that we might refer to a grocery pickup. Follow me on this. Um, if you pick up a bag of grapes, a bunch of clusters that are on one vine, you get all these grapes that are on one vine, they're in that plastic bag, and you're looking to see which one has the most... Unless they're weight by weight, and then, and then you're going to get it anyway. But sometimes they're, they're not by weight. That's always a bonus when they're just by the bag. And you're like, ah, this one's got an extra cluster in there. Grapes go fast in our house. 
or, or it's a cluster of bananas, and they're joined by one little shoot at the top. That one little, uh, one little knob, if you will, holds them all together. They're pretty strong, too. Have fun. Throw them across the room each other and see if they come apart. Just, just, just check it out. Uh, but we don't pick them up and say, I grab some fruits, do we? We say, I picked up some fruit. We use the singular term. Uh, we're looking at the same, we're looking at the sum of the parts as being one. We're, we're always looking at the sum of the parts as being a singular thing. And such is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires the fruit, the outworking of a new heart in God's presence producing a multifaceted cluster of these attributes. One work, but a multifaceted composition, if you will. And I want to draw your attention to a visible example of this in the Scriptures. I was referencing Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, uh, but let's take a look at the last book of the Bible. I've got it on the screen here for the sake of time. Otherwise, I'd have you turn there. You can still mark it if you want. Revelation 22.2, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Oh, where have we heard of that tree? Which bore, now we've never seen it do this until we get to the final book of the Bible, which bore 12 fruits. Now, it's a really amazing thing. We don't know if the tree's branches stretch to both sides if God makes one tree connected, and there are many trees, but they're really one tree, it's hard for us to say, or it's just outside of our dimension altogether, which is, of course, the case. Uh, but, but, but he gives us enough information, each tree yielding its fruit every month. So we have a kind of a picture of this in Revelation 22. Now, I'm not drawing a direct parallel with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and the tree of life. I'm not making a direct parallel. Um, what I am saying is there's a depth and mystery here we can't explain, isn't there? One tree is producing different fruit each month. I'm pointing out that in the sovereign power of God, he can and does take the singular source of the Holy Spirit and produce a multi-fruit tree. You and me are to be multi-fruit tree. Kindness, goodness, love. These are different variations of the character of God. And God, by the way, is simultaneously all of those things, isn't he? So, of course, he can do that. God wants us to be a multi-fruit Christian. Not a fruit of a Christian, but a multi-fruit Christian. Eh? You know, people already think we're fruit sometimes anyway, but, but don't give them reason for that. Let it be the authentic thing. And yet these, uh, these, uh, these plural fruits are still the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just the, the tree of life produces these 12 different fruits each month. By the way, there's a lot of things that fascinate me about it, this whole thing. I know heaven is outside of time, and yet we have a month mentioned here. We have actual 12 months, which is the same as our calendar. So somewhere God takes time and eternity and somehow we'll understand it as connected more than we kind of, well, it's outside of time or is it, it never ends, so how can there be months? You'll understand it when we get there. But we see this imagery and language also 
uh, in Psalm 1-1. Take a look at Psalm 1-1. I've got it on the screen. I believe I do. Yes. Uh, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Now, once again, singular fruit. Now here, the psalmist is not referring to uh, you know, a tree producing different kinds of fruit, but it's, it's comparing the fruitful believer, the fruitful follower of God as continually bearing fruit. Same concept that Paul is conveying in Galatians 5. Saved souls are to be spirit-filled trees. Saved souls are to be spirit-filled trees, to use the biblical metaphor, which is actually found throughout the Scriptures, or literally, spirit-filled saints are to be fruit-bearing saints. Spirit-filled saints are to be fruit-bearing saints. And the fruit is good because the Spirit of God is good. We see this word here, the goodness of God that we're looking at. In Matthew 7, 17, Jesus uses the same metaphor that the psalmist uses and that Paul's using. Of course, Paul didn't get it. Paul got it from Psalms and he got it from Jesus. Matthew 7, 17, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, not rotten fruit, not poison fruit. Same metaphor, Old Testament, New Testament, apostles, prophets, Jesus, same metaphor all the way through. Matter of fact, the tree of life is in Genesis, tree of life is in Revelation. We're constantly compared to this metaphor of a tree. So it's interesting that the pleasant fruit found in the scriptures is also uh, to be, uh, we see this pleasant fruit, but also that we're literally called these rooted trees uh, we see it in Isaiah 61.3. Specifically, we're called trees here, that they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, this verse actually tells us a little bit more about why we're trees. It all comes together. We have the fruit, but we also, we are to bear fruit, but we're also the tree. All the glory goes to who? God. Nobody ever says, look at all the fruit I produce. Which Paul references at the end of it. He said, don't become conceited. Look how amazing I am. I'm so loving. Just continue to think of yourself as Paul did, uh, the chief of sinners. Let the fruit grow. You never see trees saying, I'm going to bear fruit, I'm going to bear fruit, I am going to bear fruit. I'm going to strain it out if I have to. No. We're saved to bear good fruit. But why? Well, Jesus said that with the good works that we do, which we shouldn't really even ever think our good works are even anything, that men would glorify God, not us. I, I'm really concerned when I see ministries where everyone's constantly glorifying the, the lead pastor or this, that, and the other. I mean, it's to glorify God. But only from the source can this come. And the language Paul uses, again, go back to verse 16, is to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is the same concept as Jesus. They're, they're synonymous terms where Jesus says, abide in me. 
John 15, same concept. Let the fruit come forth by staying connected, by staying in step with the Spirit of God, by staying rooted in Christ. So let's look briefly at kindness and goodness together. And I titled this Dual Impact. Dual Impact. Not only do we have two words, but uh, a little bit uh, more duality here as well. Now scholars, scholars and Bible teachers will sometimes present these two fruits or attributes as a package deal. You'll see in commentary sometimes kindness and goodness are actually lumped together uh, rather often, actually. Uh, they're very closely related. Both are key and continuous attributes of God throughout the Scripture. Would you say God is always good and always kind? Of course. Doesn't mean he doesn't have wrath. Doesn't mean he doesn't have vengeance. But he simultaneously always kind, always good, but he's always holy, and that's why there's going to be wrath and judgment. He's always loved, but he, he's all of those components at the same time. The kindness of God and the goodness of God um, is needed in a world that's lacking both. Let's look at their definitions side by side. Um, if you look at their definitions, moral kindness it, it equals moral goodness, integrity, benign, gentleness, goodness, uprightness of heart, and it actually also means kindness. You see how connected they are? They can even be interchangeable and generous. So you see these different terms, and uh, you certainly would want to have a church that model all of those different kind of facets of those two words that we would be a church that would be marked with moral goodness. People would say, hey, it's, it's clean. Not perfect, but it's clean. And again, uh, you know what a clean bathroom looks like. And there's no such thing as a perfect bathroom. That's why they're bathrooms, right? But you know what a clean one looks like, and you know what a not clean one looks like, and you run to find the other version. Uh, integrity. You know what integrity looks like. Benign. We know what, hey, I... Glad the, the, the tumor is benign. It's not going to harm. It's not going to hurt. Gentleness. You handle something with care. That's why you don't take kids into expensive places with crystal, right? Not real, kids aren't real gentle. You, know, uh, you end up paying a lot of a, a bill. Uprightness of heart. What you see is what you get. It's authentic kindness. And generous. What really helps is to see these same words in context of other epistles. Let's take a look at the same words used elsewhere in Scripture. Um, for example, in Ephesians 2 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That same exact Greek word here, same one. So we see then that it's not just kindness, God wants to manifest his kindness. Same Greek word. It's only used, by the way, a handful of times in the New Testament. Both these words aren't used many times uh, in the whole New Testament. So to see how they're used elsewhere gives us an understanding. Take a look at his goodness, 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Therefore, we also pray always for you 
that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith, I love this last part, with power. We were talking about that uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking about that there are a lot of helpful Christians. There's, a, there's then that next level of not as many dependable Christians, but then there's this last level of powerful Christians, the ones that I love to read about that were so filled with the Holy Spirit. But powerful Christians are not like Thor walking around showing their awesomeness. They're actually very humble people that, that God just does great things through them. They don't even know that God's doing all of this until after they die usually, and everybody says, wow, why, why did we not appreciate all that they've done? But this kind of his kindness and his goodness, so we see in both cases when kindness and goodness, it's actually God's very kindness and goodness that he desires to reflect through us. And the emphasis is that this work of the Spirit reflects God's character, and it comes with his power. It, we're going to need his power to say no to our flesh. Do you ever know you should be kind and don't want to be? You ever have that Holy Spirit conversation? Yes. You're like, no, 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 Lord, you don't understand. This is the 12th time they've messed up on this. And then you start to remember, but I think Jesus talked about this with the disciples. Well, I think they said, how many times should we forgive our brother? And we're like, well, but I don't, think he, I don't think he meant in this situation. I think this was an addendum item here that, that doesn't really fall into the category. You know, not only do we need power to do the work of the gospel, we need power to restrain ourselves. Remember in Acts 1-8, the power is given to go out and reach people, and that's one power, but you also need a power to actually constantly die to yourself. Because you're not always preaching the gospel. Matter of fact, most times you're not. You're always living the gospel, but you're not always preaching the gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're always to be living the gospel, but you're not always preaching the gospel. And so a lot of times when we live the gospel is when we allow ourselves to get stepped on for the cause of Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, we're going to be kind and good, benign, generous. Because that will, and Jesus now, you don't know it, but that person took two steps closer to the gospel because of what you just did or didn't do. Perhaps more importantly, in this case, in this case, the power to deny our flesh and grow in kindness and goodness uh, when our natural, our, our natural desire is selfishness, which leads to bitterness apathy, rudeness, coldness, and unkindness. All of these things, that, uh, we don't have to work hard to have those feelings. They come rather easily. No, the Spirit gives us the power to be kind, the power to be good-natured, which is to say God-given motives. We need God-given motives. Our motives are not pure. Scripture says the heart is uh, deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? Don't trust your heart's motives. You know, people say, just trust your heart. Really? We have 6,000 years of history to look at this. It's not a good picture, is it? Never trust your heart. Paul, I love that he said, we trusted not ourselves. And Paul was a man who walked in great power with the Lord, and yet he said, I could not trust myself. We're that flawed. 
We actually, we always need, you know, a sundial is dependent upon the sun. You can't, you can't, uh, the sun is going to be there when we all die, uh, and if, the, if the God hasn't destroyed the earth by then, if we all die, the sun is still there. That's why sundials can work. You have to have something greater outside of ourself to have the right source. So we need to be, our roots need to be tapped into the very living water of Jesus. And he turns that, to go back to the metaphor of the tree, he turns mud water into oranges, doesn't he? You ever, you ever walked through, um, you ever walked through a, uh, I don't know, apple orchard or anything like that? Sometimes it's a mess. Go up to uh, Carter's Mountain after a, a good rainstorm. Uh, there's mud everywhere. The apples smell horrible. If you take a wrong step on a slippery one, you and the mud are going to become one. And yet, out of all that nastiness, none of that nastiness comes out in a new apple. All this gross water, and there's worms, and there's dirt, and there's people's feet have been all over the place, and out comes a fresh apple. Because that God does the same thing with us. He takes the muddy water of what we bring to the table and he turns it into clean water and nourishing fruit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In this work of kindness and goodness, it has a dual impact. What I mean by that is it has an internal impact and an external impact. Internally, we need the change, and externally, everyone else benefits from our change. Amen? If, if a husband and wife both have the inward change, they're both going to benefit from the outward, the external. Any two people are. Any two countries would benefit. Any two entities would benefit if God does a work of taking the muddy water of our flesh and turn it into clean water and fresh fruit. Everyone, now everyone has something, wow, this is actually good, but you can't drink the muddy water at the bottom of the apple tree. But the work always starts where? In the inner man. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, but the fruit of the what? Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in us. The Spirit of God doesn't live way out there, although the Spirit of God's everywhere. I'm saying it, in the personal relationship, it starts in the inner man. Uh, it has to be an inward reality of fruit budding before it can come forth. It has to be an inward reality first. Remember that integrity is one of the definitions of kindness. Integrity is one of those definitions. God only wants authentic. Fake fruit is worthless, isn't it? The world doesn't need fake fruit. No one can eat fake fruit, which is why I'm a little worried about the, the, in these new amazing burgers that aren't actually beef. It's a little side note here. I love what I saw. I saw something that was hilarious. I saw someone had posted, um, let me get this straight. You can take grass and turn it into a burger. Cows have been doing this for like 6,000 years. So, you know, it's like uh, God already has been doing that. You eat a bunch of grass and you get meat. So why do I need you to take a bunch of vegetables and turn it into meat when God already takes it through the cow and it becomes all of these things? But anyway, I digress. But anyway, the, the inside much must match the outside. It's the inward health of the tree 
that produces healthy fruit. If the tree is dying on the inside, there's not going to be healthy fruit. But if the tree is healthy on the inside, there's going to be healthy fruit. The priest and the Levite, uh, you remember those, the, the story that Jesus told the Good Samaritan? The priest and the Levite, they waltzed right on by. As a matter of fact, they made their way to go around. They thought it through, and they came to the conclusion that it was not worth their time to stop. They had a conversation in their own heart. Should I stop? Nah. Four important things to do. On around they went. Right by this badly hurt, bleeding, probably dying, robbed man. And they were supposed to represent the kindness and the generosity of God. They were wearing robes that were to represent the kindness and generosity. Now, Jesus could have picked on a bunch of prostitutes and drug dealers, but no, he, he chose to talk about people with the robes that were rightly or were supposed to be rightly representing him. Instead, they represented a self, selfishness, a could care lessness, a hypocrisy that we see so often in the world. They wore the robes of God, but they didn't have what? The heart of God. Robes of God, but not the heart of God. G. Campbell Morgan said, the man who preaches the cross must be a crucified man. If you're going to preach Christ, you need to really be aligned with Christ. You need to be really tapped into Christ. You need to be walking in the spirit of Christ because the world is looking for the real thing. The heart truly changed by God will present the heart and nature of God. Again, Jesus never says, well done, good and perfect servant, but what? Faithful servant. So we're going to faithfully produce the heart and nature of God and fruit continually. Back to Psalm 1-1, right? We're going, to, we're going to produce that fruit in season. Paul said we're to be ready in season and out of season, which means all seasons. Let me ask you a question. If God placed you, we're coming to an end here, if God placed any of us on a deserted island, could we and should we grow in kindness and goodness even if there's no one on the island to show it to? Show it towards. Of course. If, we, if God put us on an island all by ourselves, we are banished to an island... There's no one else there. He still wants us to grow in kindness and goodness, even if nobody else is there. Yeah. Our salvation was personal, but it's also supernatural. But so is our sanctification. Our sanctification is personal. You're being sanctified at a... God's tweaking you differently than he's tweaking me. It's personal. But it's also supernatural. You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit for that... We ha we've been sanctified from a positional standpoint, but we're continually sanctified from a progression standpoint. And by the way, we know, we know he did this once with uh, the apostle John. You know, it's cool about John. John was the last apostle to die. He was the only one that didn't die a martyr's death. Jesus said, prophesied that John wouldn't die that way. Of course, exactly how it turned out. 
John, remember, John originally would have died a martyr's death. They dipped him in boiling oil. But he was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nothing happened to him. So they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. Goes to the Isle of Patmos, thinks this, this is where he's going to die. The, the, so the Caesar thinks, I've shut him up. No, all he did was go there to get the book of Revelation. The final book, God says, thank you, Caesar. Now you have him where he has lots of time on his hands to write a 22-chapter book. And I, I don't know how God sustained him. I mean, that's not a hard thing for God. So he, he, he sustained. He's caught up in the heavens. He writes the whole book. But that's not the end of the story. Because, he's, because our work of sanctification is personal, John is, even at an older age, made more like Jesus on the island. And then, amazingly enough, a new emperor comes in. He's released from the island, goes back to Ephesus, and presents the book to the whole... If he doesn't get off the island, the book doesn't get out. So God had the whole thing orchestrated. Writes the book, goes back to Ephesus, then everyone gets the book, then John finally dies. So thank you, Rome. You've played a key role. But the, here's the thing with, uh, with, with, um, with John. God was still working on him personally, even though there was no one else around. But that work, when he was done being alone, in other words, when you're alone, you shouldn't come out of it like a hermit saying, I am so glad I'm alone. I, the last thing I want to do is ever see people again. When John was done, he went straight back to who? People. Right back to people. He went straight to Ephesus. Who can I build up with? Because he was more kind and more good after all of that. Um, when God makes us in his image, we'll be able to uh, apply liberally with others what he's done in us. Even while we're isolated and alone, we'll come out of it not wanting to stay isolated alone, but actually we'll have more of what God is doing in us to give out. Um, I don't know if you, this is a, I, I love this uh, um, kind of factoid. You guys know the tennis players, uh, Serena and Venus Williams. Uh, well, I love their, I love how their dad, um, most tennis kids are from well-to-do families, the country club, uh, you know, they, they, they're in every tournament. The parents are spending like a, a grand a weekend to get them to this tournament and that tournament, and they've got them getting massages and all this other stuff, and they're spending all this lavish money on them. Serena and Venus Williams' dad, he trained them at a city park in L.A., and they, they never were involved in any tournaments. They just played each other. All they did was play each other. And he taught them to play the ball, and he's like, if you play the ball, it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the net. You just play the ball and just hit the ball as hard as you can, learn every top spin, back spin. It, then in, when you get in tournaments, it won't matter. You don't even care about who's on the other side. You just play the ball. And sure enough, that, people thought, well, that won't work. I mean, they won't be ready for the pressure. They aren't used to people looking at them. They blocked all that out, and they would get on the court, and they just start dominating people because... Even though they were isolated, they were ready to go out. And my point is, when God isolates us, he should make us more ready to go out, not that we become some insulated, well, I'm never going to leave this shell of what God is. No, no, the work of the Spirit should, when he finally says, all right, now this cocoon stage is done, you should be more kind, 
more good, more of the power of the Holy Spirit. Who we're becoming alone with God is how we're going to treat people. Who we're becoming alone. That's why it's so important when we're alone to catch yourself, Lord, I'm complaining. Lord, I'm not giving thanks. Lord, I'm not being kind in my thought life towards that. I'm never going to say that to him. I'm going to think it. Right? We have to say, Lord, forgive me for thinking that about that. Because a lot of times we give ourselves a life. Well, let me just kind of, uh, I'm going like, to chew them out in my mind for a while here. And when I'm done, I'll feel really good. But I'm not going to do it. Well, that's still our characters not being built into the Spirit of God. We have to say, Lord, stop that and start praying for them instead of actually Christian cursing them out without it ever happening. But it's happening in the spiritual realm, which is damaging our character. Instead of actually building us back up into the Spirit of God. So again, we're not playing the ball. We're focused on the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to be to the place that if I saw them face to face, I would have an authentic love for them. And it would come out. Uh, We'll either minister with kindness and goodness, or we'll produce something that's of the flesh and it'll be a poor substitute and guess what people will know the difference won't they people will know the difference they'll know fake they'll know inauthentic versus the real deal so let's be authentic we have a promise that this fruit of the spirit will come but we also need the power don't we we also need the power to say no to ourselves the power to we're having these thoughts and we say lord these are wrong correct them there so we're even that much more filled with kindness and goodness when we meet people face to face. And remember, (laughs) the word goodness contains that word good. Jesus said no one is good but who? God. So where would goodness only come from? Only God. We don't have any goodness, so it has to come from God. It's like the, the, the moon reflects the sun's light. It doesn't give off any light. It can only reflect it. And so... We have the indwelling of the Spirit, but the only way we can receive the goodness and kindness of God is, one, we have to be born again, which I pray all of you are, but two, it's activated. You can have the match stick, but you also need uh, to be able to strike it. And the match stick, the power, if you will, kind of the power to grab it and wipe it as the Lord. But still, the word of God in prayer is the other side that has to be flinted against. And, and so that's the word of God and a prayer life. And that's why you can't take days off from the word of God any more than you can take days off from drinking water. You have to be tapped in. A tree doesn't say, I'm going to spend three weeks in the ground, four weeks outside the ground. You ever seen a tree that would survive that? No. Tell, ask any part, hey, can I, you mind if I uproot your tree for a while? I just want to see how it does just sitting out there for three weeks. Dead. So we have to stay rooted because the goodness only comes from God. And so staying rooted in the prayer and in the word, that's our source. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again uh, that you are our source for everything, Lord. Not just the fruit of the Spirit, but, Lord, just uh, that you would continue to transform us. We pray, Lord, that um, you would just develop that inner man and inner woman here that uh, we become that much more effective, like the Good Samaritan, like Paul, like David. Uh, Lord, their inward life was cultivated, so, Lord, there was real nourishing fruit coming 
that wasn't striving on their part, but just was produced by the Spirit of the living God. We pray, Lord, that we would walk in this, especially during this Christmas season where we can be a light for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.